podcast. With the COVID-19 virus becoming a global pandemic, I wanted to talk to people within the space community about how their organizations are coping and also get a little personal about and talk about life at home. So today, my guest is Jeff Languiduck, the executive director of the Canadian Aeronautics and Space Institute. Cassie, as it's known, is a not-for-profit scientific and technical organization that traces its roots back to 1954. It became the formal organization it is today in 1962 with the merger of the Toronto-based Canadian Astronautical Society and the Montreal-based Astronautical Society of Canada. This put the organization squarely at the forefront of the new space age. Today, the organization serves a diverse membership across Canada and hosts some important annual conferences that brings the community together. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for the invitation to be with you, Mark, uh, today. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be part of the SpaceQ uh, programming. Excellent. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. It's going to be fun different we're doing this through zoom a uh, new way of doing the podcast for me so uh, everybody bear with us as we work this out but it should be should, should go pretty smoothly all right so pandemic nobody saw this coming um, although I suppose there's a few people who said that it could come like Bill Gates several years ago did a TED talk and said you know this is going to happen be prepared uh, we were prepared um, so you and your team and it's a small team if I remember correctly uh, you're working from home now so how what's that like uh, as an organization uh, well we've been working this way for going on two months now Mark and uh, at first, we thought it would be awkward and probably would would be uh, it would be fraught with problems. But in fact, uh, we found it's it's much more um, of a smooth operation than might have been the case otherwise. Uh, we found that uh, we're able to communicate using video, and that is a considerable improvement over just having uh, a voice a telephone type of meeting. Uh, telecons are all very well, but with that video element, uh, we find that the experience becomes much more friendly, more intimate, and uh, more productive as well. Um, of course, you have to look reasonably presentable, uh, but if you were in the office, that would probably be the case anyhow. Um, so when we have these video meetings, one of the situations we need to um, properly handle is the backdrop. Uh, our off our small office isn't set up with a studio type of environment. So when there's a video component to a, a meeting or some other virtual activity, um, we have to cobble something together that looks reasonably presentable. Uh, just before we got started, uh, I mentioned to you that my backdrop right now consists of a couple of uh, satellite photographs uh, taken in the, uh, in the province of Ontario. Uh, so that's okay for now, uh, I, but it's missing the Cassie brand. And um, so we're working on something that's a little more presentable uh, in particular, uh, because we would like to do our own virtual programming 
uh, as you're doing now, and we would like to have a sense of professionalism with the participants in the audience. So we think if we had a, a Cassie background that almost might look like a pull-up banner or something, you'd have at a conference-only landscape, uh, maybe that would be a good idea. Uh, so that's uh, it's been it's been remarkably easy, and and we felt quite comfortable doing this. Right, and I, I hear you about the background. Um, people obviously aren't going to be watching this because this is an audio format podcast. But if you were watching this, in my background is my home office, and there's lots of books, rockets, that kind of thing in the background. However, just like you said, Jeff, I I too am working on a professional background because I will be doing uh, in the future uh, meetings that are um, uh, video and so uh, I'd like a nice background with space cue in it and something to, that, that goes with it you know it'll obviously be something uh, Canadian all right so from an organizational perspective for your team it's worked out pretty well uh, to work from home. I mean, as a matter of fact, you've got a, a seamless thing. So we'll, we'll get to the aspect of actually running the organization and what it means to the organization in a second. But I just want to get just a little personal. I mean, how are, how are you coping? How's your family coping? I mean, um, you know, a lot of people in your house, because I've talked to some people who are just one or two people, others, it's like five or six now living at the home and working from home. It can be difficult or, you know, there are challenges. Well, uh, that's a good question, Mark, because um, now that business and family have tended to get mixed up together, kind of a mashup, um, the family situation becomes part of the business uh, environment. Uh, so in our case, uh, no different. Uh, I have two kids. One is living um, in, a, in an apartment in downtown Ottawa so with his girlfriend, so he's not in the picture other than as a visitor. Uh, my daughter, who's a couple of years younger, um, also was living out of the house for a while, uh, traveling a lot, um, really all over the world, but that's come to a stop now. So she's back in the house, perhaps um, a little bit reluctantly for a period of time before she can get back out into the globetrotting arena. Um, it's it Really, it's, it's very nice for us to be forced into this more... Um, more con contact-oriented situation. Um, one of the big changes, I guess, is home cooking seven days a week. Um, <laughs> no more restaurant meals. Not that we did it a lot of times, but we did look forward to it when it came around, and, well, there hasn't been much of that lately. So, uh, well, we have a healthier diet, but uh, more dishes to wash, and unfortunately, I'm usually part of that detail. <laughs> um as a family, though, I can say we've been very meticulous in observing the COVID-19 protocols uh, when we leave the house. So social distancing, wearing a face mask. My wife has actually made us some cloth face masks. Um, we are careful to observe the one-way aisles in stores now. Uh, use self-checkout, curbside service, all of that uh, we feel is very, very important. And we think everybody should... Um, should go overboard so that we can um, get our arms around the situation without abundant testing, since that doesn't seem to be possible or, or doable for just about any organization, even in Canada, where we've got far fewer people 
uh, it's not, we don't think it's going to happen. So we believe it's the responsibility of each person to, um, to safeguard him or herself and others around. Uh, so within the Cassie office, we were, uh, early on, we adopted the program of working from home. And um, even in our office building, which is a three small three-story uh, building with, I don't know, maybe a dozen businesses in it, I'm looking out at the parking lot now, there's only one other car than mine. And I suspect that's probably, you know, a, a business car that's permanently parked in the parking lot. So there's nobody here which enables me to come into the office and break the rules, but I'm only doing it because I can more or less do it with impunity. And I walk around with little individually packaged wipes in my pocket. And so, you know, wiping door handles and everything else. And I think when we resume our work here in the office, we're going to be um, as circumspect about the way we work with each other uh, so that we make sure that we don't endanger each other. <laughs> right. Um, we'll talk about when you get, when you, when resuming your work in the office in, in just a bit, but I'm, I'm curious as to, at the moment, how is, how has the pandemic changed how you serve your membership? Um, well, or has it? <laughs> uh, it's been, I, I guess, uh, some of the changes, it hasn't, it hasn't revolutionized the way we work uh, with our staff, with our, uh, with our members, either our individual members or our corporate members or the broader community um, that we try to reach out to and serve as well. So, of course, we're in touch virtually with, with video conferencing, social apps, emails, texting, telephone. Um, we are continuing to keep our committee work going, uh, again, in a virtual environment. Um, that seems to be working fine. Uh, as a matter of fact, it seems that <clears throat> it's almost easier for people to commit to attending a meeting if they're doing it from home than if they were in an office where a colleague might come by and grab somebody and say, this is really important, we've got to talk about it now, and uh-oh, that meeting I was about to have with this other group now has to be sacrificed. So um, we're, we're finding that bringing people together uh, virtually is quite doable. Um, it, the, the, what it does do, though, I think, is it puts an additional burden on the people who are volunteer members of our committees and our governance. Most of them are, continue to have regular jobs, and they're expected to be as productive as they can be, while at the same time handling the volunteer aspects of their work for Cassie and doing all of this from home, where you've got you know interruptions from family members and, and pet intrusions and uh, ambient noise within the house and outside of the house as well. Uh, especially if you're in an urban environment where you have sirens going by or buses and so on. So um, from my standpoint, uh, we live in the country, so the, the ambient noise other than a, a, you know, a, a gardening equipment or something like that um, isn't a problem. Um, but it's um, every now and then something will jump up and bite you. Um, <laughs> something along the lines, Mark, that I confess you and I experienced as we got this uh, interview underway, yeah. uh, you know, we were struggling a little bit with the, with the technology, but I think everybody's pretty philosophical about it. And, and we try to find the humor in the situations that come up. 
I'm curious. Uh, I mean, so you're, if I remember correctly, there's only three of you that are full time, right? Is that correct? That's right. And so you haven't had to tell them you're going to be working on temporary basis because we don't have the funding, or are you you still you guys still good in terms of funding? Because and we'll get to the events in a second, but you put on events which are important events, and they bring in a, you know a percent of revenue each year. Yeah, um, events and you know workshops, conferences um, are a very important uh, revenue stream for us. Uh, we had planned two uh, full-on events this year with, with some other more minor ones. Uh, the first one, uh, Hypersonics 2020, uh, was a collaboration with the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Uh, that was scheduled for March in Montreal, and unfortunately, that was simply cancelled. There was not the possibility to postpone that event because the main participants in it were that they were counting on that actual time frame to do the conference, uh, and this was also integrated into the U.S. Department of Defense uh, program for hypersonics uh, conferences. And so, when it went away, it simply went away. <laughs> there, there was no possibility to postpone. Astro, uh, on the other hand, uh, Astro 2020 is in a postponement. Uh, situation right now and uh it, we're looking to um make sure that that we try to handle it uh at some point this year um the issue of course is that it needs to be sufficiently removed from now uh that participants will feel comfortable with a face-to-face -face format if that is the format with, that we can go ahead with uh, it's not enough that federal and provincial lockdown measures or even international travel um, uh, restrictions are relaxed enough that people can uh, cross borders and can have larger gatherings. Um, we believe there have to be several clear months in advance of the event um, so that people, even at the point that they begin to consider are we going to attend or not, uh, already feel comfortable about attending uh, an event in person. Uh, so this is getting pretty close to the end of the year, we think. Uh, as well, um, not only is it a, a significant cash flow or, or revenue stream issue for us, but uh, already we had dozens of authors who had submitted abstracts into the Astro conference that was to have taken place at the end of this month, end of May. And um, so when the conference goes away, so does the possibility for them to air out their research or their whatever they, they want to talk about. So um, uh, maybe we can get a little bit later in the conversation to what, uh, what plan we have for those folks. But we would definitely like to have a full-on astro conference. That's plan A uh, sometime within 2020. In the event that that's not possible, we're considering other approaches to being able to meet the goals of Astro 2020 without bringing people together physically. Right. And now going back to my original question, which was, that's okay, that's okay, these <laughs> things happen. You, you, get, you get on a track and then you, you, and you go with it, which is great. Um, but in terms of your employees, uh, have you taken advantage of any government programs or are the funds there to, to keep them going full time? 
Yeah, we have, Mark. Um, there are a couple of programs that apply uh, or, or for which uh, Cassie uh, is a candidate uh, recipient. Uh, one of them is the program that uh, makes up, um, uh, that tops up wages. Um, so we have taken advantage. We, in fact, uh, perhaps later on today, we've, we've gotten the code that we need uh, in order to connect with Revenue Canada to set that program up. So we will be doing that and taking advantage of it. It goes between the middle of March and the end of June. The other program that we're already set up to participate in uh, is a credit line that uh, is being made available by the federal government. It totals $40,000, and it's a facility that, that they set up at, at whatever bank you do business with, uh, and you can draw on this uh, credit line up to the limit, which uh, in our case is $40,000. Uh, we hope we don't have to draw down that much, and actually one of the benefits of the program is that if you pay back everything you've drawn by the end of the year, uh, you get some relief about paying back everything you took down. So uh, that is really going to help from a cash flow standpoint because uh, the organizations that support the activities in which we engage for their benefit, many of them are themselves facing some turbulence and some difficulty. So their financial participation on the front end of our year, uh, in some cases, has been slow in coming. So the cash flow um, support that the federal government and the wage uh, subsidy provide uh, are important assistances for us. Now, yeah, so uh, I hadn't actually thought of it from the perspective of your membership dues, especially your big corporate sponsors, how they're, you know, some in some cases pushing off payment for a while, potentially, right? Um, mm -hmm. Uh, that's one aspect that I, that I hadn't actually considered for your organization. So in, in terms of your members, have you been hearing from them and, and, and what are they telling you? Are they, are... Well, um, I guess the biggest issue uh, for our members, all of our members, be they individual or corporate, um, is continuing, is the funding, is the financial hardship. Uh, in the case of individuals, um, of course, um, reduced employment or unemployment um, in more severe cases is the big is the big issue. So the aerospace sector, I don't have to tell anybody, has been hit pretty hard. Um, international travel is either curtailed or even embargoed, and so those that movement has pretty well ground to a halt, and that has had. Um, uh, a cascade effect with airlines, airline manufacturers from tier ones to SMEs, orders are postponed, uh, staff is laid off. Um, and then when you try it, looking ahead, if, you're go if you've got an engineering cadre, um, and actually I, I experienced this myself uh, just before I joined Cassie when I was working for Aspire uh, Aviation, uh, or Aspire Aerospace, I guess at that point, um, there were. I was in Edmonton, and um, we were uh, the main the main line of work we were doing was the avionics upgrade program for the for Canada's C-130 fleet, and um, that um, the C-1 the, the avionics upgrade for the C-130 cockpit was something we were trying to sell not only to the Canadian Air Force but to the Australians and other air forces here and there. But it was slow in coming. 
Well, we needed an engineering core of at least 50 uh, various skills and management folks to have the critical mass of engineering that, that could do an, AU, an avionics upgrade program with any particular airplane. And as the work was slow in getting confirmed, we actually had engineers painting hangars just so we could keep them on staff. And I'm sure that this is the, exactly the kind of extremely difficult issue that Bombardier and Pratt and Whitney and, and also um, uh, MDA, perhaps other space-oriented companies are having to come to grips with. It's not easy. And if you do let your engineering staff get curtailed, if you let some folks put them on furlough or you just put them on unemployment, you may not get them back again. And now when you do get the orders and they start coming in, you're rebuilding from a ground zero situation that you really wish wasn't quite as bare as, as it may turn out to be. It's and, a very tricky and problem. I think people should understand that your organization serves both the uh, aviation community and the space community, and they're not hit at the same level. I mean, the aviation industry is really, really hard hit right now, and the space industry is hit as well, but nowhere near the the extent of, of that. So, uh, I, I can certainly understand how uh, you know from your organization, it's uh, you know uh, it's difficult, uh, and you're dealing with two different things. Um, so you touched on it uh, a little bit before uh, when you talked about your, your the two events that you were going to have this year. I mean, the pandemic is, is, is really changing the equation uh, on how we do events. Um, and now, you know, we know a lot of organizations are, are saying, you know, when do we go ahead with our event? When's it going to be safe? Which is what you mentioned. Uh, and some of them have already pivoted for this year to doing strictly online events, multi-day online events, which is going to be really interesting. Um, so, and the ones that are saying we're going to have in-person events, they're saying, okay, we're going to do it in the fall. And now you start looking at the calendar and it's like, okay, well, this organization is doing it in the end of October. This one's doing November. This one's doing November. How are you going to deal with the fact that they're, like, in particular, in your case, if you're looking at, let's say, you know, November time frame, well, then you're, you've got the Canadian, uh, the Aerospace Industries Association of Canada that has their Aerospace Summit. You have the Canadian Space Society with the Canadian Space Summit in November. Uh, how, have you been talking to these organizations, or are you just going ahead and you're working, through, working it out with your committees and your memberships as to how you guys are, are going to do it at this point? Well, yeah, times are tough all over. Uh, AIAC uh, has pretty well um, uh, secured their normal time frame for their um, event. Um, the Canadian Space Society, I haven't noticed anything uh, lately about what their plans actually are, but normally they'd be having their event sometime in November. Um, that even may be tight. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's really hard to know what the future holds for those of us who would hold events. Um, so I think um, it may only be right at the end of the year that there is a sufficient gap uh, between people beginning to feel comfortable and deciding to attend an event that, that they would be willing to consider doing so in a face-to-face, full-on environment. So... 
we actually have secured uh, dates in December, uh, early December uh, at the Westin uh, in Toronto, Westin um, uh, Airport Hotel. Uh, so, you know, this at the moment is plan A, is for us to go ahead with a proper conference or a normal conference there and then. Um, but we are not, um, we, uh, we, have, uh, we have an off-ramp, should it be the case that people simply aren't comfortable, even if all the regulations have been relaxed to the extent that we're permitted to hold such an event. I mean, what if we gave a conference and nobody came? <laughs> so, you know, that's a concern. Uh, you know, thinking myself, I, I mean, I, um, you know, I'm fairly active in the International Astronautical Federation. Um, the meetings in March where we were to set the technical program for the Congress in Dubai this fall were canceled. The Congress in Dubai also was postponed by the by the Dubai by the United Arab Emirates. They wanted to push it into next year, um, and so now there's a knock-on effect for congresses that have already been decided. It's it, this year is pretty well a wipeout, um, but we may be able, to, you know, to hang on with our fingernails to the very end of the year, Mark, and and we're hoping we can do that. But in the event that that proves as we look ahead, let's say three months from now, to the end of the year, if we feel that it's, we ought not to do that for one reason or another, then we will try to take some other tack in terms of accommodating our authors uh, and perhaps even somehow stimulating a little bit of a revenue stream uh, to, uh, to ease the pain. Um, it's interesting because, you know, there are some organizations that are still trying to go ahead with their events in the fall. Uh, and I have to wonder that, um, you know, what we're doing now is flattening the curve. But that is mostly for the hospitals to be able to deal with the influx of potential patients. So it looks like we may be getting over this initial hump of flattening the curve in Canada, or in, in most parts of Canada, except for, uh, you know, obviously the long-term uh, facilities uh, and the hospitals seem to be coping but you know they're talking potentially of a second wave in the fall and if a second wave was to happen uh, you know I think that would pretty much wipe out anybody's idea of wanting to go I mean personally you know uh, you know uh, going to an event in the fall you know unlikely for me um, because, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's going to be a second wave. And if yeah. there is, you know, do you want to put yourself in that position, travel, the rest of it, come home, then you got to quarantine. Are you a candidate, you know, to more susceptible to, to the thing? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, and, and of course, you know, there's this need, especially for organizations like yourself, uh, you know, who rely on conferences in part for revenue to actually have these events because you need that revenue source. And the community needs it to bring the key together because people want to work together. You know, they share ideas. You know, this leads to more innovation, people doing this. It's, um, it's uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to see a sense, a sense of normalcy until sometime uh, next year, maybe at the earliest. You know, it's uh, 
uh, as much as um, virtual events can be really productive and really good and slick and professional with excellent content and excellent lighting and sound and all the rest of it and multiple part participants, the, the, the spontaneity and the chaos that happens when people are in each other's presence is irreplaceable. Um, you just never know. And, and that's, that's the irreplaceable value of having an on-site experience. Um, so from our standpoint, Mark, uh, uh, we have a duty of care to the people who participate in the events we hold. Um, and we're, very, we're very mindful of that, while at the same time understanding that, I mean, that it's the classic um, almost mutually exclusive situation where you've got a compelling situation where people really want to get together and do exactly what you're talking about, have conversations, identify collaborators, renew old acquaintances, what I stay in touch with the people from whom you're now retired, but you really want to see them again, all the way through to the other end of the spectrum where young people are looking to meet their future um, uh, mentors or their future employers for that matter. So it's a really important thing that we do when we connect the dots like that in person. On the other hand, we want to make sure that we don't create a situation where a person is, is in a conflict. Oh, gee, you know, should I? I really want to go to that conference, but I'm not sure I can really trust the health situation. Should I go? Should I not go? It's our job to make sure that if we hold it, you, we believe you can go. And, and I know that, that uh, um, certainly in my case, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm in a high-risk um, uh, segment of the population. And without testing and, and without uh, contact tracing, you just don't know what you're going, what you're surrounded by, or what you're headed into. Um, if there's not that systematic um, epidemiological control going on in the in the society that you're part of. So in that case, Mark, I completely agree with you. You know, a mistake could be fatal, or or I could maybe not die from it, but I could bring it home to my family, or I could. I, or I could give it to one of my colleagues who then bring it home. You know, when I'm asymptomatic, let's say, and and heck, the next thing you know, you know, it's a bad situation. So I, I think the the key thing is to err on the side of prudence, and we will be doing that. Um, we have um, we're very solid financially, I guess I can say. Um, if we have a year or two that are really busts from a, a revenue standpoint, that will not imperil the continuing existence of Cassie. Um, we'll have to recover from that. And every now and then, you know, when you have a big event, you're talking about events as a revenue stream. Uh, we've held two international astronautical congresses. Those events uh, help us to reload our coffers so that we have what it takes to weather storms, you know, even even completely unexpected ones with the gravity and the depth of this one, um, we'll be okay on the other side. Um, so that, I guess, gives us a little bit more confidence that, that we should be more prudent than we are uh, risk-taking in this area. Going back to another thing uh, that you had mentioned just a while ago, um, do you have a, a plan for reopening your office now, or is it still too early for that? Um, 
Well, I don't know. The, the government of Ontario, we're, we're located in Ottawa, um, and the government of Ontario is um, the, 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 the premier of the province has been having daily um, news conferences. Most recently, yesterday, he indicated that it was provincial policy that some of the restrictions, some of the lockdown would be eased. Um, I, I haven't really gotten into the, into the detail of it. We will govern ourselves according to what we think is best for us in this small office. You know, it's, we don't have a thousand employees that, and we have to get very sort of structured and, and policy driven. We're just going to come back to the office when we feel it's safe. We don't really have to be here uh, in order to get done 90% of what we have to do. And the other 10%, I can take on myself and slip into the office under cover of darkness or something like that uh, if necessary. So we're actually doing okay uh, working from home. Uh, it's handy to have the office and, and we don't regret you know, the expense that it's involved in our having this square footage uh, over the years, it's convenient. But in the event that uh, we feel safer not to be here for whatever period of time we think is, uh, is what we need to do, we're good with that. Now, you mentioned the IAC, which is a, you know, a very large international uh, conference every year, very good conference. Canada has hosted it three times, I believe. Yeah. Um, and the last time being, what, 2014? Was that right? Yep. In Toronto. That's right, in Toronto. In Toronto. Yeah. Any interest in, in uh, bidding on one in, in early 2020s or, you know, 2024? Well, you know... Old habits die hard, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I, the, I love that that uh, that activity to organize an event like that. It's exhilarating. It's time consuming. Uh, it's very stressful. Um, but the people who you meet and the relationships that you develop over the course of organizing a congress like that uh, stay with you. And um, you know, the first one I organized was in two thousand and four in Vancouver. Um, that was uh, the, the co-chairs of that event were Dave Caddy, uh, a person who many people who uh, have been around uh, MDA for a while will have known and grown to love, and Mac Evans. So can you imagine a better team to be leading a Congress? Uh, so the Vancouver Congress in 2004 was my first uh, as general manager. 2014 was the second. So that's a 10-year gap. So what with one thing and another, and uh, the, the next Congress that will be open for bid uh, for the IAF will be 2024. And the reason for that is is bumping Dubai to 2021. Um, the confirmation of Paris for 2022 uh, is awaited. Uh, and then there's uh, Baku in Azerbaijan uh, has agreed to move from 2022 to 23. Uh, that being uh, easy for them to do, uh, because essentially it's it's a family affair over there. Um, so they've just moved that. And so now the next open year will be 2024, for which bids will be invited for 2021. So I'm involved in a number of committees for the IAF. And and um, and so uh, I, I may be around long enough 
to bid for one more and to run it. I don't know. Uh, I sort of would rather be on the golf course, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was at the 2004 event because I was living in Vancouver at the time. And uh -huh. uh, 2014, I was living in Toronto at the time. So, uh, and uh, I, I wasn't at the previous one, which was when? That was 1991. Right. And at the time, uh, the president of Cassie was Carl Deutsch. Uh, who is someone I think you know, Mark. Uh, uh, many people in the space community who've been around a while will have will have met Carl. He was a president of the Canadian Space Agency as well, I believe. Um, he was the president of Cassie, and um, that was uh, actually the venue was mainly was Place des Arts in those days. Uh, so that was before my time. I joined Cassie 20 years ago in 2000. So uh, I just I've looked at the pictures and it, it looks like it was a fun event. Everybody likes to go to Montreal. I was born in Montreal. I love it, but I certainly wasn't at the conference at that point. I was not uh, in the space community. Um, all right, so I've got one last question, uh, and this goes towards the conferences next year. Um, next year, if I remember correctly, um, uh, you have Aero that you were uh, planning on doing. Um, you're, are you, I mean, it's probably you were probably in the very preliminary stages of that one. Uh, are you still anticipating that one going ahead? And what about is there going? If you do an Astro in December, does that mean there's no Astro in 2021? You know, I'd love to have you on the committee that is agonizing with this question, Mark, because you've got it very clearly defined. Uh, it is a, a problem. Uh, it, you know, the, the uh, aero community we found um, wasn't moving at a pace where an annual conference uh, suited their, their needs the best. So um, I guess it was about 10 years ago, we opted for uh, an aero every two years approach to Aero. So next year will be a, a regular Aero year. Astro used to be every two years as well, but then the pace of space began to pick up significantly and the community um, appreciated having a major gathering once a year um, that Cassie would hold. And so Astro uh, for the last couple of years has been annual and next year would have been uh, another annual event. Well, if we're holding Astro right at the end of this year, uh, and we have a full-on technical program with multiple parallel sessions as we normally would, the question becomes, is, is six months enough time to be able to generate enough new and interesting information to hold another full-on Astro in May or June next year? The answer is we don't know, <laughs> um, but, but we're, at, we're, we're considering the situation. So one, you know, th there are multiple possibilities um, for example, um, Astro 2020 may be reimagined as an event that is mainly, if not entirely, plenary. <clears throat> so rather than having um, those multiple parallel sessions, we would have, let's say, just mainly everybody all together in one place at one time for a couple of uh, or three days of programming. Um, our expertise uh, in the virtual environment may enable us to have the skills and the, and the technology to enrich that kind of a program with some virtuality uh, brought in from elsewhere in the world. Um, so that, that might be good. On the other hand, if we hold a full-on Astro at the end of this year, then we may consider having that kind of more plenary-oriented event 
next spring. Um, again, as so more than anything else, as a way to bring the community together uh, in a face-to-face -face environment, so that so that that wonderful richness of people together as a group with shared interests can play itself out. Uh, so, but these are open questions right now. Um, we are actively discussing them and we're also dovetailing those discussions um, with our strategic planning committee under our current vice president, uh, Dr. Harry Cole, who, uh, well, former uh, General Harry Cole, who is currently the principal of Royal Military College. So he will be taking over from uh, our current president, Jacques Giroux, um, in the next month or two. Normally it would have been at our annual conference in May, where we have our annual general meeting and a, and a board meeting called a council. That's not going to happen in the normal way, uh, but we may do it virtually. Uh, anyway, Harry uh, has been moving our uh, complete overhaul of our strategic plan uh, over the last couple of years while he's been vice president. And so uh, that framework is one in which we need to plug the various activities that we want to resource with funding from the budget and with activities from our various committees to make sure everything is congruent. Um, and so that conversation is involving a number of different players about what do we do with ASTRO this year? How do we configure it? And then how does that have an impact on Aero and ASTRO and other things we may want to do next year? So it's kind of everything is connected, um, but there doesn't, we're waiting for the other shoe, whatever that proves to be, to drop. <laughs> and then a few other things will fall in line, we hope. So uh, do you actually have dates at this point for Aero in 2021? Uh, no, but it would be in the normal sort of uh, sometime in the month of May. Okay. Uh, would, would be the usual uh, spot that we would want to locate it. Um, so, uh, I'm working on that actively right now, of course, um, we, we need to secure venues and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, even, even a year out is, is a short, uh, fuse actually, when it comes to organizing events like this and getting the venue you want with the dates you want, the bedrooms you need and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I've organized events in the past. All right. So, um. Uh, I want to thank you, Jeff, uh, for being my guest and, and bringing us uh, a picture of, you know, your organization, how it's coping with uh, the pandemic at this time, uh, how you're working with your uh, different committees and, and, and your employees to to uh, further the uh, the cause of Cassie and to, to bring those events uh, to the uh, to the community. Um, uh, we will most likely uh, talk again uh, in a few months to, to catch up and see how things are going. Uh, so thank you for being on the show. Stay safe. Mark, thank you very much for having me as a guest, and you stay safe too. All the best for uh, the next few months, and I hope to tag up with you again soon. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. 
Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq.